I'm Bridget Stomberg. And I'm Lisa Simone, And this is Taxes for the Masses. Today's episode is on the multi-state taxation of professional athletes. Income taxes can be complicated for professional athletes because they perform work in multiple states. In today's episode, we explain the mechanics and the history of the so-called jock tax. Hello, Lisa. Hello, B. Today, we're talking about taxation of professional athletes in the U.S., and we're going to do that for a few different reasons. Glad you're going to explain this topic selection. Go on. So reason number one, the Super Bowl is next week. So it felt timely Mm. to integrate this massive sports event. Some might say the best sports event into our little podcast. Makes sense. Second, I got the sense that you were growing tired of me constantly talking about teen dramas. So Mm. I'm pivoting to my other television love, the NFL. What a treat. I knew you would like that. So I too enjoy professional sports. It's just that I'm more of a major league baseball person myself. And I think that that's very on brand for the two of us because I I think people (laughs) tend to characterize baseball as more intellectual sport. And I just want to run around violently punching people. So I think- I don't think I've right? ever heard baseball referred to as an intellectual sport. <laughs> although, although to-, to be fair, I've never heard of any sport being referred to as intellectual. Totally fair. And now I'm wondering if someone was trying to insult me because I was explaining how I didn't <laughs> like baseball and they were saying, well, it really is more of an intellectual sport. So maybe, maybe that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Something about like managing your pitching. I mean, and- there's strategy, but there's strategy in football too. Absolutely. But there's also running around punching people, which not punching, yeah. but hitting people. Maybe it makes no sense why you like one. And I like the, I was trying. It makes a lot of sense because we are very different people. It's true. It's true. Calm. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Maybe baseball is more calm. Baseball is, that's what the reason I like it actually is I, I love falling asleep to it. Okay. There we go. Yeah. No argument that you are the calmer <laughs> and I am the more violent of the two of us. Qu- quieter, louder. I don't know. I don't know. However you want to. Yeah. Anyway, doesn't matter. In honor of the Super Bowl, we're going to talk about the jock tax, which is a colloquialism for income tax that is levied on individuals who earn money outside of their home state or city. I have to say that I am not loving the term jock tax. So I think we're going to have to come up with something else. It makes me think of jock itch, which is not as nice as a no. Yeah. How about athlete tax? professional athlete tax. We could call it PAT, PAT for short. Uh, We cannot call it PAT because PAT already stands for point after touchdown. So that's not going to work. Okay. I was trying to go easy on you, but now you're forcing me to be creative and mean. Creative and mean. All right. I'm intrigued. Go be, please be creative and mean. All right. We know the average professional athlete is in their thirties. So I could suggest we call it a tricenarian tax and make you say the word repeatedly throughout And professional athlete tax, it is. You win. Deal. Would you like to kick it off with the discussion of how professional athletes are taxed? Why not? We've talked before about the fact that the state where you reside has the right to tax all of your income. That's pretty straightforward. Yes. Things get more complicated when someone who resides in one state works in another state. So 41 states and Washington, D.C. all levy an individual income tax. 24 of those states, take, for example, Indiana, require non-residents to file an income tax return regardless of the amount of money they earned in the state. 
The other 17 states require non-residents to file an income tax return only if the money they earned in the state exceeds a certain threshold. And what you just described can obviously be burdensome for individuals who live in one state and work in a bordering state. Yes. So some states, to counteract that burden, have what we call reciprocity agreements with neighboring states. And that means that the individuals only pay tax in the state where they live, and they don't have to pay tax in that other neighboring state where they work. So I live in Indiana, which has reciprocity with Illinois and other states. That means that if I work in Illinois, I only have to worry about paying taxes to Indiana. And if anyone living in Illinois works in Indiana, they don't have to pay income tax to Indiana. But they do still have to file a tax return with Indiana. And if all of that sounds a little complicated for a single individual living in one state and working in another state, imagine how exponentially complicated it becomes for an individual living in one state and working in multiple other states during the year. That is one of the largest income tax challenges that professional athletes face. And to be fair, it's not just athletes, but also management consultants, traveling salespeople, and performers like actors and musicians. Which, thankfully, is the perfect seg to reminding our listeners of Eddie Murphy's recent advice at the Golden Globe Awards, and I quote, pay your taxes. So good. Coming from him. So good. Sage advice. All right, how about an example? I will happily give you an example. And just to make my husband who doesn't listen to this podcast happy, <laughs> but maybe I get some credit for it in the universe, we're going to take Jalen Hurts, soon-to-be Super Bowl quarterback uh-huh. of the Philadelphia Eagles, Jalen Hurts. I'm just going to go ahead and assume that he is a resident of Philadelphia and thus has to file an income tax return in Pennsylvania each year. Okay. All right. So for the 2022 season, including the preseason, the Eagles played 10 games out of state. Three of those games were in Florida and Texas, states that don't have any income tax. So Hertz would have no reporting requirements there. Okay. Pennsylvania has reciprocal tax agreements with Indiana and Ohio, where the Eagles played two games during the year both coincidentally, which were one-point victories. And that means that Hertz may have filing requirements in those states, but likely wouldn't owe any income tax. Pennsylvania also has a reciprocal tax agreement with Maryland, where the commanders play, so cross another state off of that list. You lost me at commanders. Exactly. That leaves Michigan, New York, Arizona, and Illinois as the states where Hertz likely has an obligation to both file an individual tax return and potentially pay some income tax. And to pay the tax he owes, Hertz has to do some math. And as you may have guessed, there's no single agreed upon approach to determining how much income an athlete earned in any single state. There are two methods. So the first one is the duty days formula. And the second is the games played method. The duty days formula apportions income based on the ratio of the number of duty days spent in the state relative to all duty days. And I'm having so much fun saying duty because I'm five. I'm really trying hard not to laugh <laughs> over here like a child. Anyway, um, all that aside, it seems simple enough to compute that ratio. The trouble is that states also cannot agree on what duty days are. <laughs> Duty days are generally considered to include all days from the beginning of the team's official preseason training through the last game in which the team competes. The games played method apportions income based on, shocker, the number of games played in a state relative to the total number of games played during the year. So continuing our example, let's figure out how much income Hertz will report to Illinois 
So we're going to try to keep things simple and we're going to ignore the postseason. Okay. So we're just going to focus on the regular season. Hertz made about $1.2 million for the 2022 season, and that amount is absolutely too small given how well he's played, but that's a topic for another podcast. The regular season was 20 games this year, plus preseason, and Hertz played just one of those games in Illinois. So he would report 120th or 5% of that $1.2 million salary, which is about $60,000, to Illinois. That wasn't too hard. No, but most states don't use the games played method. They use the duty days formula. Ah, okay. And that requires us to track duty days across multiple states. Duty, 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 duty. Got it. Duty. (laughs) She's laughing, ladies and gentlemen. You just cannot hear her laughing. You're a child. I am. So Eagles training camp started on July 26. Again, we're going to ignore the playoffs. Okay. There were 166 days between that day and the Eagles' last regular season game on January 8th, 2023. We could assume that 166 is his total number of duty days, which would be the denominator in our formula. Okay, but for the numerator, we'd have to know how many duty days Hertz spent in Illinois. And you're right if you guessed it includes more than just the day of the game. Illinois law stipulates that practice days, days spent at team meetings, and even promotional caravans all count as duty days. And teams often arrive uh, about 18 to 24 hours before kickoff, and they may not leave till the day after the game. So for simplicity, let's assume that Hertz had three duty days in Illinois. Um, That means that under the formula, Illinois would tax only 1.8% of his income, which is about $22,000. So we can see that under the duty days method, he would report less income to Illinois than under the games played method. And you get to say duty. I'm going to stop. So that's curious to me because the games played method would have given Illinois more income to tax. Yeah. And it's more straightforward. So I'm just curious why more states don't use that method. Because it's more straightforward. And because states like to say duty. Yes. Everybody likes to say duty. Everybody loves duty. We have... We have derailed. All right, get us back on track, please. I'm going to try. You keep saying that we're going to ignore the playoffs, but I don't want to ignore the playoffs. Playoffs are awesome. So what special tax considerations are there around the playoffs and the Super Bowl? Well, I can think of two. Okay. First, most states will include any bonuses you receive from winning a bowl game in an athlete's compensation to be apportioned. Last year, members of the winning Super Bowl team each received $150,000 and the losers each got $75,000. Well, I'm a little jealous there. I've been losing my entire life and I never once got paid $75,000 for it. No, no. Cannot think of a single time. And even when we won, I think we won $300. Which was a lot of money for us at that point in time, but it, it really was. Not $150,000. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even though the Super Bowl will be played in Arizona this year, players will owe more tax to other states where they played games during the regular season simply by virtue of their total compensation being higher. Wow. Second, if a team has home field advantage throughout the playoffs like the Eagles did, it extends their total duty days but doesn't increase the duty days allocable to any other state. Ah, that's interesting. Okay, so if a team made it all the way to the last playoff game and played all those games at home, their total duty days would increase by about, say, 20 days, but their duty days in all other states would stay the same, so the amount of income that gets apportioned to those other states goes down. 
A similar thing would happen under the games played formula. So total games played increases from 20 to 22. Um, so all of this would be good incentive to want to get that home field advantage, right? Absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's a tax incentive for home field advantage. So I can think of no greater incentive. Agreed. It's also an incentive to at least not face teams in high tax states during the playoffs. So right. if you can't have home field advantage, you want to be going to Miami or Tampa Bay, Dallas, Houston. Right. And if we can get really fictional for a second here, bear with me, NFL fans, and let's just pretend that the Arizona Cardinals had made it to the Super Bowl in Glendale, Arizona this year. Duty days for those players would increase to 201 days and total games played would increase all the way to 23, hmm. both of which would further reduce the amount of income apportioned to other states where they played during the year. So what you're saying is that extending your season is just good, solid tax planning. Absolutely. All right, one last question, since you know I did my research ahead of this episode, and I now have Jalen Hurts' contract terms totally memorized. Of course. He got a signing bonus of about $2 million, and about 485000 of that was apparently allocated to the 2022 season. So why didn't you include that in his compensation that was supposed to be apportioned? Great question. There are two reasons that I can think of. Okay. First, he likely got that whole $2 million of cash in 2020, and that $485,000 allocation to the 2022 season was only for salary cap purposes, because just like accountants, the NFL likes to amortize things. Okay. And so he's likely already paid the tax on that $485,000 when he received the cash in 2020, because for personal income taxes, we're generally speaking about cash basis taxpayers. Okay. Second, the IRS actually doesn't consider signing bonuses to be compensation as long as the bonus is not conditional on playing any games for the team and is not refundable. So there could have actually been a situation where that money wasn't treated as compensation at all. Wow, that adds a layer of complexity. It does. We've talked about the mechanics of the PAT, and now I'll hand it off to you to talk about the history of the tax. That's nicely done. I'm glad you got that. But I think despite my lack of height, I've never really considered myself a running back. That's why it's not the fact that you don't weigh over 200 pounds and don't have a 4.5 40 time. It's, no, it's height, those are really? That's minor your details. limitation? Mm-hmm. Okay. Minor details. Okay, so indulge me here as a baseball fan. So I've yeah. always envisioned myself um, being a, a free safety, an Ed Reed type. I'm just out there intercepting pick six. That's that's my name all day long. Okay. I'm just intercepting and running it back for touchdowns. Of all of that, I understood pick six and touchdown, but keep going. Great. That's the most important part. Okay. What position would you play on a baseball team? Actually, true story, I would play right field. <laughs> And I did play right field in our little beer league um, several years ago. My spouse and I played. And I, my claim to fame was I actually caught a ball, of a fly out in right field, and then doubled up a runner. So I made a double play. And it was the only thing I did all season. I couldn't hit the ball. I couldn't catch anything else. But I made one play, and it was magical. That's fantastic. All right, right awesome. field it is. All right, so the exact origin of the tax is unclear, but one of the first court cases in the area was tried in 1976 in, I mean, none other than California, right? Yeah. 
It involved Dennis Partee, I hope I'm saying his name right, a kicker and punter for the Chargers. He tried to use a variation of the games played method to apportion over 40% of his income outside of high tax California because that was the method that the state used to apportion the salaries of baseball, basketball, and hockey players. But in Partee's case, the state used a version of the duty days formula to apportion only about 25% of his income to outside of California. Partee argued that the use of a different apportionment formula method for him, a football player, was discriminatory. But the appeals court ruled that the state could use one method to apportion the income of some athletes and use a completely different method for football players. Exactly. So the idea of a state taxing non-resident athletes goes back to before you or I were even born. Um, But the legend around the tax centers on an arguably more famous athlete, Michael Jordan. Ah. As the legend goes, so California was mad that the Bulls beat the Lakers in the 91 NBA Finals, and they notified Jordan and his teammates that they would owe tax for the games that they played in L.A. Illinois then kind of like retaliated um, with a Michael Jordan's revenge tax, stating that it would impose a similar tax on players from any state that taxed their players. And I personally am looking forward to that plot line on the next season of Winning Time. Wouldn't hold your breath. But by all accounts, these professional athlete taxes became more widespread after this point in 1991. Um, And you can see how these taxes are appealing to states, right? Like professional athletes are really highly paid, Mm -hmm. high profile individuals. Mm -hmm. We know their salaries. We know their playing schedules. This is all like very public information. And so states can easily see who owes them money and can develop a fairly accurate estimate of how much tax revenue they should be able to collect from these athletes. It's a great point. And as you've just alluded to, it turns out that it's a lot of money that they can Mm. collect from these professional athletes, especially for a state like California. California has several sports teams. They have three NFL teams alone that I could count. Yeah, five MLB last time I checked. And um, for, for baseball, those are usually three game series played over the course of several days. So, you know, those duty days add up. Absolutely. So non-resident athletes rack up these duty days, like you said, or games played in a state like California fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. There was one estimate that suggested that California collected over $16.4 million from non-resident NFL players in 2010 and more than 70 million from non-resident athletes across all sports in that year. Another estimate put California's professional athlete tax collections at $229 million in 2013. And states have gotten really creative with their versions of these taxes. Um, A state representative in Missouri proposed to tax umpires under the same provisions after the Cardinals lost to the Astros in the postseason. And the Astros, of course, probably won because they are very well-known cheaters that deserve an asterisk on all of their wins. I knew that was coming. Mm -hmm. I don't know much about baseball, but I knew that was coming. Could not resist, even though I am a Texan. All right. Tennessee doesn't have a state income tax, but they once imposed a privilege tax at a flat rate of $2,500 per game for any non-resident professional hockey and basketball player. Pittsburgh tried the old trick of trying to charge a fee instead of a tax. Mm -hmm. In 2016, the city created what it called the non-resident sports facility usage fee, which was equal to 3% of income an athlete earned while using the city's sports venues. The fee was, in fact, deemed to be a tax and eventually ruled unconstitutional. Yeah, nice try. Seems like Pittsburgh fared as well in the courts as they did on the gridiron this year, eh? Ouch.
right, time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'll start and say hooray for an episode on taxes and sports. I can get behind that. Yeah, it's nice and it's timely. And it's great to venture out of our corporate tax bubble and away from teen dramas. It's uh, all, all things I approve of. It's refreshing. It's refreshing. Yes. Um, so I, I think that's it. I think we can end the episode because there's nothing bad to discuss. And I could take us out with a version of Fly Eagles Fly if that would make okay, people happy. All right. Let's just put a, a pin in that for a second. Um, even though people might not feel too sorry for multi-million dollar athletes having to pay some extra income tax, there are some things to dislike about these taxes from a policy perspective. I think we should probably talk about that. We absolutely can. I do just want to go on record as saying that I think my version of Fly Eagles Fly would be better than that that Jalen Hurts sang in the NFC Championship game, but that's fine. We're just going to leave that alone. Please continue to tell us what are the bad policy aspects of this professional athlete tax. Okay, for starters, these rules treat athletes differently from other individuals. So every person owes taxes to states where they work but are not a resident, and oftentimes these obligations kick in only after the individual has spent a certain amount of time in the state or made a certain amount of money in the state. But with these jock taxes or professional athlete taxes, PATs as we're calling them, athletes are always taxed, despite how the state's rules treat other non-resident workers, and that doesn't seem fair. No, you're right, it doesn't. I mean, one could argue that it is fair to impose extra tax on professional athletes because they can afford it, right? Mm. They have higher incomes. Sure. But individuals in other professions could actually make more than some professional athletes and not be subject to the same type of non-resident tax. Right. The NFL minimum salary for rookies in the 2022 draft class was $705,000. And that's a lot of money. It is. But you can imagine a really successful attorney, doctor, wedding planner making more than that and not being subject to these different set of tax rules. Wedding planner. I, yeah, I'm willing to bet. Interesting. Okay. According to the Tax Foundation, these taxes can also be poorly targeted and impact people in sports industries with more moderate incomes, people like trainers and scouts and commentators. Yeah, so I feel like we've got both what, what I want to say type one and type two error going on here. Right. We're not targeting all the people who have high salaries, and we're actually potentially targeting people who have not super high salaries. Way to nerd that up. Any any opportunity I can. I feel like we're getting too <laughs> we're getting too sporty here. So for example, Illinois defines a member of a professional athletic team as including coaches, managers, and trainers. So these are people who might not be really highly compensated. I don't have mm. any idea how much any coach or any manager on a professional athletic team might make. Right. All right. So I think we can move on to the ugly and I will 100% admit that it's all relative here. And this is not nearly as ugly as some of the things we've discussed on this podcast on prior episodes. A change that I welcome. As do I. Um, but when you think about it, it, the tax is sort of unfair because it's out of a player's control. Because as we've talked about, it depends so much on their schedule and where their games are played, which mm. a player doesn't have any say over. Right. So Jared Walzak of the Tax Foundation did a really interesting analysis of what NFL wide receiver Tyreek Hill would have owed in tax depending on which team he signed with last season. Had he signed with the Bears in Chicago, Illinois, he would have owed more than $125,000 in additional taxes to non-resident states say than if he had signed with the Colts in Indianapolis, Indiana, despite those teams both being in the Midwest and generally being bad at football this year. (laughs) 
What's worse, he would have owed $87,000 more in out-of-state taxes if he signed with the Browns than if he signed with the Bengals, which are both teams in Ohio. And this is simply a result of the difference in the location of their away games during the season. That one really blew my mind, right? Like if you wind up in a division with the Dolphins, you pay less tax than somebody who winds up in a division with no Florida or Texas teams. It's not fair. It's bananas. So to quote John Madden, the only yardstick for success our society has is being a champion. No one remembers anything else, including how much non-resident state income tax you paid. You know, if you're quoting football people, I have to quote baseball people. And who else are you going to quote but Yogi Berra? Yogi Berra. Nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, that's all we have time for today. Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses.